Hey, thank you so much for listening to Behind the Line. This is the Sunday message. We hope that this message builds your faith and fills your cup. Now let's get ready for the word. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing out there? You know, it, it's possible. I never thought I'd say this. Y'all might have too much energy today. It, it, I don't know what we put in the coffee out there, but it, it's quite the vibe. Well, I had a great week. The Cubs are on a heater, everybody. They've won eight in a row. At this point, I'm pretty confident they'll never lose again. So it just feels good to be a Cubs fan. It's a great week. How many of you guys are excited for football? Yeah, training camp is getting started. The Bears just went to camp. I'm pretty excited, though. Something happened this week. This was kind of crazy at training camp. They had to cancel practice. Uh, there was a white substance that they found on the field. I don't know if you guys heard this in the news or not. It's something the Bears had never seen before. Well, af- after further inspection, they just realized it was the goal line. So that was my dad joke. Throw that in there. Now, I will say, not this year, though. JF1, Justin Fields, baby. We're going to score like 100 points a game. It's undefeated, best season ever. I'm excited. Well, anyways, if you were here last week, you know we started a two-week series. I said it would would be last week and this week, a mini-series called Monday Matters. And it's built around this idea that God has designed us. God created us. God made us to work. We were made in his image. We know that God worked. God was a creator. We know Jesus worked. We work. There was work before the fall of man. There's going to be work after fall. We're working now. And there's work in the new heaven and the new earth. Work is important. And why? Because work is good. Work is good. Genesis tells us that we were put into this earth to work it, to care for it, to govern it. You see, work is how we find our purpose. Work is how we find our value. Work is how we contribute to the world. Work is one of the ways that we love our neighbor. Work is one of the ways we discover more about ourselves. It's a great discipleship tool. But as we talked about last week, if work is good, it begs a question. Why does it often feel so bad? And that's because there's a gap between work and reality. And this gap exists where we wish our work was fulfilling and we wish our work was joy-filled and we wish our work had slide that came down. There it is, fulfilling and joy-filled and life-giving. But in reality, lots of time our work is hard, is it not? And work is frustrating And work is exhausting. And that's because this gap exists, as Genesis tells us, because of the brokenness of this world. That sin entered into humanity. And as part of sin, it says the work of the ground, not work itself, but the work of the ground, the ground became cursed. There are thorns and thistles in the ground that will make our work hard. And in any work environment, there are just that, thorns and thistles, difficult people, difficult processes, difficult challenges that will make work challenging. But the good news is we can bridge the gap. And the way we do that is with the perspective shift, a a mindset shift where we begin to say, okay, my work is my worship to my Lord. And this was all predicated on a verse that Paul gave us in the book of Colossians. Let me read it to you. Chapter three, starting with verse 17. It says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, right? So it doesn't matter, all encompassing. Work at all or work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And what this verse is showing us is that it becomes a lot easier. Once again, work has its challenges, but it becomes easier to view work as worship when you understand who the boss is, when you understand who you 
work for, that Jesus is our boss and that no matter what we do, whatever we do, we are working for him. And last week we kind of came actually across this video that I thought bridges both last week's message and this week's message together. Why don't you take a look at this video real quick? Work. Most of us spend over half our lives at work. Whatever it is you fill the nine to five with, planting crops, building cars, taking care of patients, teaching students, or running a business, work is where most of life happens. For some, work is a drain. They dread Monday mornings, forcing themselves to struggle through because they need the paycheck, while many times feeling trapped and beaten down by their job. Some people love their work. They're good at what they do. It energizes them. It's a place of security, a place to chase dreams, desires, and success. At work, they find fulfillment. We often forget to connect our faith to our work. We don't consider the reasons God may have us at our job. We don't think about the purpose and meaning we could bring to our work. We simply focus on how it makes us feel. But what if we saw our work as an opportunity to worship? As Christians, we are called to serve Christ with our lives. For a few, that means working as a pastor, a youth minister, or a missionary. Others serve the church by teaching children or singing in the choir. But when Sunday is over, most of us return to our jobs outside the church. For us, our mission is in the marketplace. We may not be the kind of missionary who moves to the far regions of Africa, but around the conference table, around the water cooler, around the cubicle, we have an opportunity to worship the God who created us. He gave us skill. He gave us passion. He gave us work. When we do our jobs with excellence and integrity and diligence, it's an act of worship. We are displaying God's craftsmanship to the non-believing world around us. We are earning the right to be heard. We don't see a divide between Sunday and Monday, between the sacred and the secular. We've been invited into parts of the world that a pastor or a traditional missionary will never see. We have conversations with people who would never set foot in a church. Whether we love or dread our work, we choose to turn the focus away from ourselves and toward the mission God has for us. Church is not the only place we worship, and Sundays are not the only days on our calendars that have meaning. Every day on mission for God brings us great joy. Like the heroes before us, we can be modern-day Noahs and Josephs and Peters who are called with a purpose. God has designed us. He created us to work and to worship. For us, work is worship. So here's what I want to do today. I want to build off this idea that work is worship by unpacking what does worshipful work actually look like? You know, I said last week my first job was as an electrician. My second job, I worked at Kmart. You guys remember Kmart when that was a thing? Okay, so I worked at Kmart. And I remember I was a young Christian when I started working at Kmart. I, I truly became like a dedicated Christ follower when I was 16. So I'm working at Kmart. I remember thinking, okay, I want to shine a light at Kmart. I, I want to make an impact, right? I want to glorify or lift high the name of Jesus through my work. But I learned really quickly that it's hard to follow Jesus in an environment where lots of people don't care about him where people maybe have been hurt or burned by the church or have a bad taste in their mouth from Christians, or where people mock Christianity. Not to mention that the work itself was challenging. I mean, when the store gets robbed on the weekly, I mean, that literally happened. I worked at the Kmart on North Main Street. It does not exist anymore. They just tore it down. They're like, oh, we got to give up on this thing. We just, we'll just take it down to the ground. And that's exactly what happened. But I mean, literally, there was a code that they would yell at 
yell out over the loudspeaker and they expected all the employees to run to the front of the door when it was getting robbed. This was a great plan. So it'd be like code 1000. So here I am 16. I run to the door. I'm not going to sacrifice myself for $10 denim when somebody's running out the door with stuff. But this is true. Uh, The head of security at Kmart, she was was five foot and up and a hundred pounds. Dude, she was fearless. She'd jump on the roof of cars. I'm not kidding. So I just get my popcorn out. I'd be like, this is entertaining. I'm like, I make three dollars an hour. I ain't jumping on no roof of any car. But she's like out there just making moves, yelling at people. She took her job very seriously. But it was challenging. I mean, we, I was a stock boy. I had to clean up the bathrooms. And guys, people are gross, right? They just are. And, and I'd get yelled at all the time. Every day I'd get yelled at about something. The price of things are like, why is this hammer so expensive? I didn't make the hammer. I, I don't know why the hammer costs what the hammer costs. And so it's really hard. Sometimes to see your work as worship when you have maybe people who don't necessarily care about Christianity in your workplace and when the work itself is challenging. But did you know that most of us will spend more of our waking hours in our workplaces than we will at home? For some of you, that's that's a sad thought. So if we don't learn how to live our faith out there, then where? If we spend most of our waking hours in our workplace, if we don't learn how to live out our Christianity or live out our faith or bring good works and kindness and and love into our workplaces, then where else are we going to do it? Look at what Paul says about this in Philippians 2. Do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering, no second guessing allowed. Go out into the world uncorrupted, or you could say go out into your workplaces uncorrupted a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night. We, We see here that we're called. We're called to go into the world, into our workplaces, and be a breath of fresh air to live different. And we do that through a great work ethic or a wonderful attitude or being helpful or generous and kind. And so how we live in the world will do one of two things. We will either shine a light or we'll blend into the night. And my guess is most of you, most of us in this room, we want to be the types of people that shine a light. But often when we think about doing that, the reality of what does that look like at my nine to five or whenever your nine to five is, many of us, we just don't know how or we don't know if we have the ability to do so. And so let's look at how. The first thing we have to understand is that worshipful work doesn't require the right job title. Worshipful work doesn't require the right job title. I think where a lot of us get stuck is when we look at our work or we look at our jobs and we look at maybe the day-to-day of what we do, we just don't think it's significant enough. My job's too mundane. My job's too routine. I only answer phones or I sell cars or I don't lead anybody. And so what happens is we, we usually have this phrase when we think about making a difference with our work or we just say, I'm just a fill in the blank. Well, I'm just a tradesman or I'm just a mom or I'm just a teacher or I'm just a caseworker, right? We just, we just say, I'm just, uh, and what we're doing is we are minimizing the impact that we have. We're minimizing or downplaying the role that we do. But you have to understand that any work done in the name of God is a redeeming work. In other words, when you work in the name of the Lord, you're actually bringing his glory and his presence down to your workplace. You are literally bringing heaven down to earth. You're bridging what is sacred and secular by you working in the name of the Lord. 
Many of you have heard of Martin Luther, a famous theologian, famous pastor, very famous for being a church reformer. Uh, In many ways, he's famous for starting the Protestant movement. And he actually did a study on this, this, this understanding of how the sacred and the secular come together. He did a study on Psalm 147 that kind of, it helps us understand how this works. So let me read a verse from Psalm 147 and unpack some of his thoughts real quick. In verse 13, it says, for God has strengthened the bars of your gates and blessed your children within your walls. He sends peace across your nation and satisfies your hunger with the finest wheat. So Martin Luther, he asked, well, wait a minute, how does God actually do these things? And now I'm going to paraphrase and adapt his thoughts here, but he asked, how does God strengthen the bars of your gates or the bars of your cities? Well, he does that through planners and builders and architects. He does that through good politicians who pass good laws. Well, how does God bless our children? Through stay-at-home parents through teachers, through coaches, through social workers, through daycare workers, through YMCA employees, through pediatricians who ensure good health. How does God make peace in our nation? Through great emergency workers, policemen, firefighters, EMTs, soldiers who defend our borders, lawyers who protect our rights. How does God satisfy our hunger? Through farmers and factory workers, restaurant owners. And the point that Martin Luther is making is that our professions, our jobs, Our work, when done in the name of the Lord, are what he calls the masks that God wears to take care of the world. What a beautiful thought, which is to say we see an ordinary profession. That's a teacher and that's an engineer. But behind that face, God is at work using ordinary people to do his work on this planet to help this world, to bring heaven down, to to ensure that neighbors are being loved, that good works are still happening in this world. And so he goes on to say, let me quote Martin Luther here. When we pray the Lord's prayer, we ask God to give us this day our daily bread. And he does give us our daily bread. He does it by means of the farmer who planted and harvested the grain, the baker who made the flour into bread and the person who prepared our meal. So maybe think of it this way. A way that God answers our prayers is by bringing the right people at the right time into our life to bring the right type of help. God uses other people, uses you to answer their prayers. That's how God works. So somebody's car breaks down. Maybe they're a single mom. Their car breaks down. They're like stressed out. They don't know what to do. I'm broke. I'm breaking down. I I don't know how I'm going to get to work. I got to get to work. And through a providential relationship, God sends an honest, fair mechanic who comes in and, and says, you know what? I don't even need to do this for a fair price because I believe it's my ministry. It's my calling to help single moms. Let me fix this car for you. That's an answer to prayer. Somebody's about to have surgery and they they walk into the hospital and they're nervous and they're anxious and they're afraid and they don't know what to expect. And the nurse comes and she provides or he provides comfort and answers to questions and they provide a calming presence. And with their wisdom and knowledge and expertise, it puts that person at ease about the surgery they're about to have. That's an answer to prayer. Or somebody, they don't know what to do with their kids. Their kids are acting wild. They're they're out of control. And they're like, God, I don't know what to do. I'm at my wit's end. I don't know what to do with my kid. And then a coach steps in. And this coach believes in this kid, calls them to something better, tells them to be a leader, holds them accountable. And it brings something good out of this kid where it changes the trajectory of their life. God answers the prayer. Do you understand that all your work is important? What you do matters. There is no I'm just a fill in the blank. 
Because when you do your work as worship, when you do it as unto the Lord, your role is a mask that God wears to do his work in this world. What a beautiful thought. Another way to say this is we don't just make a living. We make a world worth living in. We don't just make a living. When we do our jobs well, we make a world worth living in. And then you can have this sense when you've worked hard, when you've done your job, when you've contributed to the world, you get this sense of like, almost like a divine, a a holy satisfaction that you know you're accomplishing God's will, that you're doing his work on this planet. I don't know if any of you have ever seen the movie. It's an old movie, Chariots of Fire. I remember watching this as a kid. I think it came out in like the early 80s, all right? It's about an Olympian from Great Britain. He was a Scottish guy. His name was Eric Liddell. He won the gold medal in the 1924 games. And by the way, when you hear this song, don't you feel like you need to get up and start running somewhere? You hear it, but you're not going to run fast. You got to go in slow motion. But you're going you're gonna to leave the parking lot today and this song's going to get into your head and you're going to lock eyes with someone and you're going to race to the exit of the church. You're going to be like chariots of fire. <laughs> but anyways, the movie's pretty fascinating because it's actually about a guy who's a committed Christian. And his family, they were missionaries to China. And there's a point in the movie where the guy, Eric Liddell, his sister is challenging him. He's preparing, he's working hard as a runner to get ready for the Olympics. And his sister confronts him and thinks, you know what? You should be a missionary like the rest of your family. You need to be a missionary to China. To which he says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. You see, you don't have to work at a church to make a difference. You, you don't have to do missions work to have an impact. You don't have to work for a non-for-profit to help people. No, no, no. When you just do great work with what you've been blessed with, with your talents, with your abilities, when you work hard with how he's gifted you, you honor God. And we actually see this in Exodus 31. There's a guy by the name of Bezalel, and he's one of the A very few people, by the way, all throughout the Old Testament of the Bible, you don't see the Spirit of God mentioned a lot, and you surely don't see a lot of people mentioned as filled with the Spirit of God. So he's one of a few people who are mentioned as filled with the Spirit of God. But not only is he mentioned as filled with the Spirit of God, the Bible tells us he's the very first person that's filled with the Spirit of God. So we see this in Exodus 31, verse 3. It says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him. Let me pause here for a second. Oh, man, if you're the very first person in the Bible filled with the Spirit of God, and and God is blessing him with an extraordinary gift and empowerment from the Spirit, what would God have filled him with, right? Probably the ability to preach to the nations. Maybe the ability to be a phenomenal leader, because that's what you have to do to to make an impact. Or, Or maybe it was the ability to prophesy, He was an amazing prophet. Nope. Look at what it says. Exodus 31.3. I filled him with the spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. So being filled with God's spirit made him really good at quilting. (laughs) Made him an expert craftsman. God supernaturally gave him the ability to do great things work. Isn't that beautiful? Which says that once again, no matter what we do, when we do great work with our jobs, we will feel God's pleasure 
We will sometimes, maybe even supernaturally, sense that God's spirit is moving through us when we look at whatever God's blessed us with, our talents, our resources, our spiritual gifting, and we steward that well. We say, God, I'm going to honor you with what it is that you've blessed me with, and you will feel a divine pleasure, a sense that God is at work through you. Let me go to the next point. Worshipful work tries to look, live, and love like Jesus. Worshipful work tries to look, live, and love like Jesus. Now you need to hear me say, we are not about perfection here. No one is going to be perfectly like Jesus. And there was only one perfect. It was Jesus, but we will chase after the perfect one. And we're all about progress. And you think about Jesus walking the earth. I I think I said this last week, but 85% of his life, 85%, he was a carpenter. He was a craftsman. He worked with his hands. The last 15% of his life is when he was a traveling minister. And obviously all the entire time, he's the son of God. And as he worked, the Bible tells us he never sinned, never once, which means in all of his work, 85% of his working life, he always did it with the utmost integrity, no cut corners, never told a lie, didn't blame others, no double standards. And when he made things, he made them well to the best of his ability. Well, Proverbs 20.10 says, false weights and unequal measures. The Lord detests double standards of every kind. Do you get the feeling though, as you think about being in, a person of integrity in the workplace, that that's a little bit of a lost art? How many people cut corners, blame shift, don't work to the best of their ability? But this is not a new thought. There's a famous story about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Many of you have heard of him. He's the guy who created Sherlock Holmes. But he was also a politician, and he was a known prankster. And so as the story goes, he sent an anonymous telegram to some of his colleagues, and this is what it said. It said, flee at once. All is discovered. To which then he shows up at the office a handful of hours later, and 12 of the people were making plans to leave the country. They were afraid to be discovered for who knows what. I think it's safe to say there is lots of people out there who would be afraid to be discovered. There's a lot of people who work out there who aren't doing things right, who aren't working with integrity. But if you call yourself a Christ follower, if you follow Jesus, you should work in a way that no matter what you're caught doing, you'd look like Jesus doing it. See, integrity matters in our workplace because our work, we've already learned this, our work is done for Jesus. So it matters because Jesus is our boss. We're working for him. But integrity matters in our workplace, not just because we're doing it for Jesus, but because our work reflects upon Jesus. We are supposed to be a light, not blend into the night. We're supposed to model Christ in our workplaces. And to me, one of the saddest things is when people talk about Christians in the workplace and they're the last people they want to work with. They're the last people they want to be around. Or they seem like the biggest hypocrites or the ones who blame shift or cut corners or they're not kind or they're not friendly. And that makes me so sad because that's not supposed to be the case. We're supposed to, to, to the best of our ability, try to live, love, and look like Jesus. That's what we're supposed to be if we say we follow him. Look at this verse in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. It says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. What's this verse telling us? It's telling us that Jesus took his assets. He's God. 
rich. He owns everything. He takes his assets and his strengths and he willingly lays them down. Why? To help and bless others for the betterment of you and I. And that's because the bottom line of Jesus's business, of the the bottom line of the father's business, you could say, it's love. That's the bottom line. Now, what do you think of as the bottom line of your business? Many times we think it's money. That's the bottom line. I got to make that paper, get as much money as possible. Or maybe the bottom line is success. Got to climb the corporate ladder. Or maybe the bottom line is just results. I got to get stuff done. Right? It's about results. It's about numbers. It's about sales. Whatever it is, this is the bottom line. But God's economy is different. You see, God's kingdom, kingdom is an upside down kingdom. It doesn't operate like the world's kingdom. And in God's economy, the bottom line is love. That's the bottom line. That, that's the result that he's trying to accomplish through your life. First Peter 4, 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. I read a story this week from a, a guy named J.D. Greer, and he was talking about a college graduate who got a job in Madison Avenue. I'm Madison Avenue in New York City. And this was a job at one of the the world's largest and best advertising firms. And this person starting work, and as you imagine, New York City, right? What's the bottom line in New York City? Results, dollars, success, promotion. And, And so she's new on the job, but she makes a huge mistake her first week on the job, and it costs the company nearly $25,000. Well, New York City is not a city that's defined by grace. It's about the bottom line. And so she expected to be fired. Well, come to find out her boss went to the board and said, you know what? I didn't train her maybe the way that I should have. That mistake is on me. I, I take the fault for that. So she's not fired. She hears what her boss had did for her, goes to his office, and she's in tears. And she's like, why in this cutthroat society would you be willing to cut your own throat for me? Why would you do that? To which he says to her, well... It's because Jesus did the same thing for me. I made mistakes and he took the blame for my mistakes on the cross. And so because I have just learned to realize that I've been given a great grace, I try to give out great grace to everybody I work with. And so I wanted to display that same type of mercy to other people whenever I can. That's what it looks like to love like Jesus. You don't leverage your position or your talent or your time or your resources just to make money or just to be successful. No, 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 no. You see where God has positioned you and you leverage your time, your talents, your resources as an opportunity to show grace and love, as an opportunity to bring hope and love and joy and peace and kindness to those around you because the bottom line in God's economy is always love. And that's what it looks like to love like Jesus is understand what the end game is all about, which leads to just one last thought. Worshipful work means you're the pastor of your workplace. Worshipful work means you're the pastor of your workplace. You see, the world doesn't need more people to quit their jobs and become pastors and missionaries. Though if you felt called to be a pastor, that's a beautiful thing. Or you felt called to be a missionary, that's an awesome thing as well. But what our world actually needs is more people to see themselves as pastors of their workplace to see themselves as having the opportunity to walk into the workplace and make a difference there. That's how we're going to change our city. 
remember hearing maybe a few years back, and it's still around this organization called Transform Rafford and all the ways we can change our city. And I couldn't help but think if we had a whole army of people walking into our workplaces with a different perspective, bringing love and joy and kindness and grace, that's how you transform a city is the way we interact with one another. And there's a story from a church called uh, Christ Church of the Valley. It's in, in Phoenix. And, and we came across this story a couple weeks ago about a UPS driver by the name of John. And that's a job that some of us would say, well, how could God use a delivery driver? driver? He's just a UPS driver. But that wasn't what his mentality is. You know what's amazing about John, and, and you kind of see some of this in the story, but he, every single day before he goes to work, he would pray over the people that he would meet and the packages that he would deliver. And he would ask God a, a very simple prayer. God, just use me today in my workplace. Would you take a look at John's story? I drive for a delivery company. I've been with the company for 27 years. I like meeting people. I like being a part of the community. What I do is can be very uh, routine and mundane, just going anywhere between 150 to 350 different addresses every day, um, bringing people what they need or want. I think with any job, there are days that you're just totally in it, and other days it's a chore to make it happen because you're just not feeling that great or you got something else you really need to do. But I feel like what I do really helps people out. Well, with the pace of what we do, you certainly can't talk to everybody every day, but you can talk to some people some days. I think I met them three years ago. I was going to make a delivery, and when I was getting out of my truck, the gentleman was giving out of his truck as well. I brought him the package and said, hey, how's it going? And he answered. He just brought his wife home from an appointment with a doctor, and they had just received some bad news about her cancer spreading more into another part of her body. So I, I said a prayer for him there. One Saturday after church, I got kind of a urgent call from them. They came home and their, their air conditioning stopped working. And he called me just saying, hey, do you happen to know anybody that could come and take a look at the AC? Because my wife just can't be in this heat. And they got it taken care of. And when he was thanking me, he said, by the way, is, is the offer to meet with the pastor still there? I said, absolutely. And they both decided to get baptized that very afternoon. You know, it makes all those years of sweating in the back of the truck like nothing compared to that. I want to be kind. I want to be encouraging. I want to show love to all people. When we listen and then open our mouths, testifying to what we have experienced and what we know, God just takes it from there and he is just so good to keep pursuing people every day. God's helped me see not just addresses and houses, but I see people and I see people with names and I see people with names that God created and God loves and God's pursuing. If me taking a few seconds out of my day to just make sure people know they're not alone, 
And I'm all about that. That story so much. And I love the line he says that he doesn't see addresses, doesn't see houses. He doesn't see a job that's just transactional. He sees people with names and stories. And you know, everywhere you go, you're going to lock eyes with people everywhere. And you'll never lock eyes with somebody that God doesn't love, somebody that God doesn't know their story, somebody that God doesn't care about. God loves everybody. And so we need people that have maybe that same mentality where what if you viewed work the same way? Work is not an address that you go to. It's not a destination on a map, but it's a place full of people that you uniquely get to interact with. Now take a look at this map. Here's a map of the Rockford area. And you see State Line Church, right? It's somewhere in the map. It's, it's there. It's coming. There it is. So you see State Line Church, right? Well, that's just one location, one address, 601 North Perryville. It's one address on this map. And our impact is somewhat limited by the four walls of this building sometimes. And we often think when we think about the impact a church can make, or even when we leave the church, we think this, this kind of goes through our head. If I could just get my friends to church. If I could just get my coworkers to church, it would help them and be a blessing in their life. And you know what? It would. It would help them. It would be a blessing. There's one problem with that. Most of the people you interact with will never walk into a church. Most of the people that you interact with would never want to come. So what if you brought church to them? What if you flip the mentality and say, you know what? I'm going to bring love. I'm going to bring hope to them wherever they're at. So that when you walk into that address, that workplace, you don't just see it as a job, but a place where you can be the pastor of your workplace. Because here's the thing, I can't be the pastor of your workplace. I, I, I can't walk into your building or into your school. If I did that, I'd probably get tased. I'd get arrested. But you have a key to a door that I don't have. Right? You have a fob to a building that I don't have. You have a security clearance that I don't have. You have a badge that I don't have that gives you access to a place that you uniquely can go into, that no one else can go into. And when you walk into that place, you get to interact with people that no one else will get to interact with, every single one of which God died for, that Jesus went to the cross for, which means you might be the only person that they meet that is a genuine Christian that can show them love or Christ. You might be the only one. I couldn't help but think when I was listening to John's story, when he talked about these people reached, um, reached out to him via text when their heater or when their air conditioner broke. And I'm like, did they not have anyone else that they could reach out to? They reached out to the UPS driver that they had met, right? But that just shows like maybe they don't have anyone else. Maybe you're the one that they need to come in and bring whatever type of help that they need in their life. And so if not you, then who? If not you, then who? Because guys, this is a broken world and people need hope. And we want to be a church that's about the one that we care about every single person that we come into contact with. And I know even as I begun this message, we, we, we talked about, okay, we want to be the type of people that shine a light, but maybe we don't know how, or we don't know what to do. And I would say, yes, you do. You do know how, and you do know what to do. You, you see your work is valuable. You're not just a, but you work really hard at whatever it is that you do. You understand that God made you for maybe just this season or just a time as this to go into that role. And you understand there's a purpose to you being there. And then when you're there, you work with integrity. When you're there, you serve, you care, you show love, you honor Jesus at work. 
And now look at this verse, 1 Peter 3.15. Honor Christ and let him be the Lord of your life. So as you honor Christ in your workplace, then what happens? Always be ready to give an answer when someone asks you about your hope. I will ensure you this. If you truly love different, look different, and live different in your workplace, it, because it's so countercultural to the way the rest of the world looks, people want to know why are you so different. And when they ask you, tell them why. You share your story of what Jesus has done. Or maybe you share something you learned at church or you talked about how you served in the community. You just share a part of your story. And we all can do this. I got an email this last week from after last week's message and it was a woman from our church. She works at Portillo's and she's a manager and a trainer. And she said in her email how high stress being a trainer there is and the turnover and the chaos and the stress has given her a lot of anxiety. And, and she's even had like pulled muscles in her back, all of this stuff. Well, the last seven months, she started coming to State Line, And as part of that, she started praying now with this new mentality as she went to work. She would pray every single day before she walked into work. And let me read a portion of her email. My prayers in the parking lot are basically the same, depending on the day. But basically, I ask to be the light for Jesus at Portillo's, to help him shine through me and bring peace and comfort to those I can touch. The result? No more Xanax, less stress at work, no more Nats attention, and my nickname is known by all and referenced a lot, Care Bear. I love that. I have helped people financially, emotionally, and supported team members in ways I never th would have thought possible. So praying, it does work. My focus is not so much my life at Portillo's as it is focused on becoming now more like Jesus. So what if we had the same mentality at work? That to the best of our ability, no one's perfect, but we're going to try to live, look, and love like Jesus at our workplace. And if we had that mentality, we could put a pastor into every single one of these places of work, and we can broaden our impact all throughout the community. And so I want to end a little bit differently this week. We don't normally do stuff like this, but when you walked in, you're going to notice there are maps. There's two on each side of the room and two in the back of the room. And what I want us to do if, is an act of faith. If you're willing to say, you know what, to the best of my ability, tomorrow's a new day. I'm going to walk into to work. It doesn't matter what works look like up until today, but today, starting today or tomorrow, I'm going to walk into work with a new mentality. I'm going to do the best of my ability to be a pastor in my workplace, to show love, to, to extend grace, to show kindness. And so as an act of faith, and I want you to take a pin, there's pins, be careful as you pull it out, and then put it wherever your address is. Now, some of you in this room, you're like, okay, well, I don't work a nine to five or, or I'm just a volunteer, right? Here we go again. Or I'm just a mom or, or I'm just retired. No, no, no. Don't minimize what you do. Work is not just a job. That's an American thing. Work is any type of thing to get a desired result. So if you go to school and you're a student or you're a stay-at-home mom, don't let somebody tell you where you go or what you do isn't important. That's super valuable. You're doing a very important work. So maybe you mark your address or you mark where your school is. Now, as you look at the map, it's not perfect. And you're like, I work in Janesville. Where do I put my pin? Janesville's not on the map. So maybe just put it on the top part of the map. But I want all of us to move throughout the room, put our pins in the different spots, right? Just pick one map. But here's what's cool. Next week, we're going to compile them all together. And what we're going to be able to see is the impact that we have together as a church with all the different pastors that are in our community all the different places that we can go and bring church to them, not just hope that people walk into the four walls of this church, that we have an army of people throughout the state line region who are bringing love and hope and grace, lifting high the name of Jesus wherever they go. That's going to be so awesome to see. 
So let me pray for us. And then after I'm done praying, we're going to sing a couple songs. You can go and go ahead and get up as soon as after I uh, pray, you can go to the maps and then you can come back to your seat and we'll wrap up the service. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the potential impact that we can have. And I pray as we're sitting here right now, each one of us, first and foremost, see that the work that we have is valuable. That we don't minimize or downplay the role that we have that our work's important, that you made work good, and thus our work is good. And so even though sometimes we have thorns and thistles in our work and it's hard and it's challenging, help us understand what the bottom line is, that you have put us there for a reason. And the result, the bottom line is you want us to love, to show love. So inspire every person in this room to make that possible. We give these next few moments to you in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.